CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hello, hello, hello. I'm your David Bertka, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to... Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Goosebumps. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the most is Munoz. And how are y'all doing, folks? How are you? Can you believe that the holidays are among us? Oh my God. Can you believe that we've been stuck inside for like almost a year? Oh my God. Can you believe that it's like almost 40? Well, it actually is. It's 48 days to my 40th birthday. Yeah, guys. And guess what? We'll probably be stuck inside still. As for me, I'm a little worse for the wear this morning, but I am pulling it up and getting it right and ready for today's guests. But um, the craziest like New York City thing happened at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. I was woken by like, what sounded like fireworks and like all these lights outside my window. As we all know, I live in 120 square feet in Times Square. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And there's fire trucks outside and all sorts of things. What are those like subway grates? Basically blew up. I don't know if it's an electrical problem, but there were sparks and fire and uh, big booms. It sounded like fireworks. It was the craziest thing to see. And um, for those of you out there who don't live in New York, there are these like grates that like are ventilation systems for the subways and I guess house electrical equipment. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that, but um, yeah, that was a little scary and that kept me up most of the evening. And then I started to do a little research that there appears to be one sidewalk grate incident every 18 to 20 months, which puts the odds of any one New Yorker being killed or injured way down uh, there. Uh, like, you know, n- it's not a common thing that happens. But um, yeah, there are more like 
there are more subway grade accidents than I realized, apparently. <laughs> so needless to say, I may be avoiding subway grades after last night. Oh my God. Um, what else can 2020 give us? I don't know. But what I am giving you today, I am very excited for because a friend of mine led me to this gay food liberty because I mean since June it's been one after the next and I am so excited today to welcome the one the only Chalaka Disanayake also known as Charles Disa if you're nasty say hi Charles <laughs> hi hello everyone how are you how are you <laughs> I'm good it's you know with everything going on it's just you know it's a lot to take in, but still, you know, we still have our health. We still have, you know, a lot of things that um, are important, at least, you know, to me. So um, I'm good. I'm good. Can't yeah, complain. That's great. That's uh, that's good to hear. Have you ever had a subway grate incident? Can you even believe I that? haven't. I haven't. I've, I've seen it in movies, I think, but I haven't actually had an incident. It, it was something like out of the movies because I looked out my window and even the fire trucks and the police were like hundreds of feet back from where this all, what this electrical right. issue was happening. And before we got on the pod, uh, in your mouth listeners, I told Charles that I almost had to podcast out of my bathroom because there are so many emergency like con ed uh, vehicles outside doing all sorts of crazy construction, and I didn't want to cancel right. on him. But thank God I'm not on the bowl talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, before we go anywhere, Charles, in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, I would like to wish you a happy National Apple Cider Day. Thank you. Thank you, Minos. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you an apple cider queen? Do, do we love the apple cider? I do like apple cider, especially in the fall. And I actually like uh, working with apple cider and incorporating it into a lot of my food, especially desserts and sauces and stuff like that. I just feel it has a really warm, like, you know, kind of um, homey kind of feel to it. It has so many levels of warmth and comfort, you know, when you have a nice warm apple cider flavor. Yeah, there's like that specific apple cider tang, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that like kind of hits you like right back here in the salivary glands. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Um, and when you I, add things, warming spices like cinnamon and cloves and stuff like that to it, too, it's just really, it's nice on these gloomy cold days. Ooh, was that a proposition? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in, well, you're in luck, Charles, because it's also National Vichy Soie Day. Wow. What is that? Vichy Soie? Well, never heard of it. Uh, you're the chef, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, first and foremost, I need to let you know because the the audience, if uh, for those of you who have been following me for a while, know that I have no clue who makes these things up. It is, I think, it's just random selection that someone's like, okay, today's National Vichy Soie Day, whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, but Vichy Soie is a thick soup made of boiled and pureed leeks, onions, potatoes, cream, and chicken stock. It sounds Yum. like, right? Often served <laughs> cold, but can oh. be eaten hot. Mm. You think that's a French dish? It has to be, right? Yes, it is. Yum. It's definitely. Mm. Uh, so which would you choose? National Apple Cider Day or National Vichy Soie Day? 
Uh-oh. I think I'd go with the apple cider. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. I actually think I would go for the, I don't like Vichyssoise. cold vichyssoise. I've had yeah. vichyssoise before. Mm-hmm. Right. But like a little warm vichyssoise and like the, in these fall months, I'm, I'm definitely a savory boy as opposed to uh-huh. sweet. I, I enjoy my sweets, but it's always salty yeah. first, you know? Okay. I get it. I can see that. Uh, and yeah. I, it looks like it's the opposite for you. Yeah, you're more. No, it's not. It's not really. Um, I'm just not um, a huge fan of potato-based soups. So that's why oh. I guess it just naturally came to me that way. Basically, uh, you were like, "Bitch, you don't know me." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, definitely a savory guy too. Um, first and then sweets for sure. Me too. All right. All right. Well, you know what? Whatever you celebrate today, whether it's National Vichyssoise Day or National Apple Cider Day, you know what? It's your day for you to do what you want, right? We don't discriminate (laughs) here. (laughs) And taking uh, Chef Charles into uh, this day in gay history, because as we all know, I like to call on our gay ancestors, our LGBTQ voices of the past that got us here into this space. Did you know, Chef, that in 1974, the New Yorker publishes its first gay-themed short, Minor Heroism by Alan Gurganis? Look at that. Wow. Very interesting. Again, I didn't hear of that. I did not know about it. Yes, a lot of this like uh, LGBTQ history, I have learned so much. And oh my God, coming up in February, which is a blink of an eye away, this podcast is three years old, which will mean that I will have almost been doing two years because the podcast didn't start out like this, but almost two years worth of This Day in Gay History. Wow, congratulations. There's, there was a lot, there's a lot of random, <laughs> random homosexual facts out there. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm sure it's all interesting. Yeah, you and know it's, what? It's, it's, it's been a joy to bring, to bring this to the audience and to actually learn about, um, you know, our history as LGBTQ plus people because our history is, is short and often undocumented. You know, right? Because because yeah. we've been in the closet and in the shadows for so long that it's like tidbits uh, come out here and there. So it's been a joy to really experience this and learn about this and just be a font of random homosexual history knowledge. If you, will. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's great. But let's get to the good stuff. For those of you out there in podcast land, if you didn't know and you need to, Chef Charles is a multi-award winning chef. And he is the proud owner and chef of boutique catering company, One World, One Kitchen, and culinary co- consultant, I can't speak today, for Singapore-based Lantern Hotel Group Beautiful. He hails from the beautiful island of Sri Lanka, but he has grown up and lived in many cultures and traditions from across the world, including Ethiopia, Nigeria, England, Mexico, and the United States. And these global influences continue to inspire him in molding his culinary fingerprint. Celebs on his roster, and listen to this list, are Neil Patrick Harris. Yes, Hey, girl. Uh, Deborah Messing. Yes, we love Deborah <laughs> Messing. Designer Naheem Khan. Singer um, Black. Uh, oh, my God. Thought. 
Yes, Black Thought from the yep. Roots. Yep. Yes, I don't know what Spike happened. Lee. Spike um, Lee. Yes, keep yeah. dropping the names. Miss <laughs> Kelly, you fed Miss Kelly Ripa, who I love. <laughs> John Stewart. Um, yeah, there's just like a whole lot of people. And, uh, you know, also just working for all of Neil Patrick Harris's events over the last years has also given me a lot of exposure to so many other celebrities because so many celebrities come to his parties. So, you know, you meet all these people and they're all like relaxed and happy and it's just such an, an amazing place to be. Wow, wow. I love that. Listen, listen to that, folks. In your mouth is one person removed from um like celebrity, like from the Kardashians guy. Like, yeah. Oh, and also a big one, uh Paul McCartney. So Paul McCartney is uh, one of our clients. And um I've had the opportunity to, you know, cook for him in a very uh you know, in a very personal setting in his home in the uh, in the Hamptons over the summers. Um, we couldn't do it this year because um, they're being very careful uh, with everything that's going on and they want to keep him safe. But um, that was an amazing experience as well. Yeah, that's, that's really, really incredible. And please just keep dropping all the names throughout <laughs> the podcast so I can just tag everybody. <laughs> but like... Coming into that, right, and and we can uh, we can start backwards. I love that. Coming into that, what is that experience like? What was that first experience like? Whether it was Neil Patrick Harris or Spike Lee or Sir Paul McCartney, what was that completely nerve wracking? Were you were you just there shaking shaking spatula and tongs? Yeah, actually, I think my first experience was Neil Patrick Harris. So. Um... You know, the first time you meet a a big celebrity and you actually have to cook for them is always nerve-wracking. And I think I was thrown deep into uh, the deep side of the pool with that because it was like one of their big Thanksgiving dinners. Um, And it was for a lot of people. Um, And I was, and this was about seven years ago. So I was also fresh into the scene, like not, you know, I just had about a year or two into food. Because before that, I was doing marketing consulting, which we can talk about later yes. or not. <laughs> um, but, but, but as they say, fresh on the scene, crispy and clean. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, it was immediately going in and cooking for them. And, you know, was it was at their homes immediately. It's very intimate and personal. And, you know, you get to see their kids and like... Uh, uh, Neil Patrick's um, husband, David Burka, is a chef too. Um, but again, very warm, very inviting people. They make you feel at home right away. So as much as it was nerve-wracking, I think I was also feeling very comfortable and just happy to be amongst um, other gay people who were having these families and having these beautiful lives. It was kind of very hopeful and like assuring that, you know, things can be great, you know, just seeing them and seeing their family and see the way they entertained over the years. Yeah. And I, you bring up a a really beautiful and inspiring thought that, you know, you're, you're fresh on this scene as a celebrity chef here, um, meaning cooking for celebrities, even though you are a celebrity chef, holla chopped, right? Final two, <laughs> Final two if we're just going to keep dropping, uh, <laughs> dropping names of things that you've done here. But like walking into that environment and having the first thing be this beautiful gay family with children in this beautiful home, having, right? And having it be the norm, right? Which it should be the norm, right? Yeah. Like yeah. why it was never the norm is beyond me, but yeah. it should be, 
the norm and how inspiring and how beautiful and how like motivating that must have been. Yeah, it it totally was. And especially for me, uh, coming from a very conservative culture uh, where, you know, being gay was, uh, you know, really difficult. And it's taken me years to be comfortable in my own skin and to understand, you know, and be confident about things, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a lot. Um, and coming to New York, you know, coming to New York about 10 years ago and getting familiar with everything and exploring my sexuality and realizing that it's okay. And, you know, seeing Will and Grace on TV and seeing how things can be normal. And then, you know, going forward, five, six years forward and actually being able to cook for Grace, who was like, you know, was one of my initial, um, people, you know, who I saw on TV and thought, oh, wow, it's okay to be gay. It's, it's you know, it's cool. It's, you know, people, it's, it's not looked down upon the way I, it was when I was growing up in, in other parts of the world and even with my family, to be honest. Yeah. And this is why I was so excited to talk to you because... As we know, In Your Mouth listeners, sometimes on the podcast, it's a little bit of a struggle to find uh, LGBTQ people in food as is, right? Because, you know, we're in the shadows. It's in the, it's a very hyper-masculine industry, you know, and the kitchen culture isn't, isn't in your face culture. You know, people, a lot of people, I should say, we won't blanket everybody here, but, you know, the, the Cooks want to be cooks. They they don't want to be out in the front. Like the food, the food is the show, not necessarily the person. Uh, and correct and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I agree. I totally right? agree. And yeah. so that makes it a little bit more difficult to find LGBTQ people in the food sphere, especially like chefs and so on and so forth. But then you add LGBTQ people of color in food. And then it's like, you know, finding a needle in a haystack because, but this experience of yours is, is so unique being from uh, Sri Lanka and having traveled and lived so many places that is, is what makes it so exciting to have you here on the pod and your story um, so important to hear. Right, right. Yeah, thank you. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, yeah, as I said, you know, I totally agree. I um, Before I started my own catering company, I actually worked in restaurants. Um, I first trained under Anita Lowe at her Michelin-starred restaurant, Anissa, uh, in the city. And then I got pretty lucky. I did some consulting work in Sri Lanka and set up some restaurants there. And then uh, when I came back to New York, uh, after a few months, um, uh, I got uh, invited to be the executive chef and set up and run a 150-seater high-end restaurant in Brooklyn called Vis-a-Vis, which was a Russian-French restaurant. So again, Russians, um, you know, very macho, masculine, uh, you know, again, being gay was, uh, you know, really looked down upon in their culture. So, you know, I was always like, I was never like comfortable to just completely be myself. I had also to deal with a lot of other Russian sous chefs and um, uh, Latino chefs. You know, the, the macho industry thing is very true. You have, and you're the executive chef, you're running the show. You have to show strength and, you know, you, 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 you know, and you have to be the leader. So you kind of can't show any weakness. And in their eyes, sometimes these macho um, sous chefs and people could see being gay as a weakness. 
So it's a lot of things to deal with, you know, yeah, especially and, but, in the kitchen. And how did you navigate through that then? Because, listen, I have been in hospitality for 21 years, only mm-hmm. front of the house events like staff, management, staffing, you know, serving, uh, expediting, all of that all of that. And I have had to deal with that in a very different way than say you being behind the line. That's, yeah. that, that's kitchen speak for being like in charge and cooking. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, so how do you, how did you specifically navigate through that? I think first of all, I am, um, I was, because these were like, new ventures to me. I'm self-taught, you know, I'm moving from marketing consulting to food. So, uh, and there was a lot to take on and learn. I pretty much learned on the job. So I basically, you know, didn't like focus too much on my sexuality or social life or anything like that. So I, it didn't really get in the way. I just really focused on the food over those years, uh, those formative years of um, getting into uh, being a chef um, by just focusing on the food and just, dealing with, um, you know, my staff in a firm, but like um, happy family style type manner. So everyone felt very comfortable around me. And the whole idea of all of us coming together was to kind of do the best kind of food that we can possibly do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. Like, yeah, that's, but that didn't stop me hearing voices and whispers from here and there and stuff like that, but I just didn't let it affect me or I didn't let it become, you know, get the spotlight that they were trying to get out of it. I just, again, just kept focusing on the food and that's what we're all there for. Yeah. And that's, that's really, really important to hear that like the outside voices can't affect you. And what I love about this podcast and what it's become is showing people in through this food lens, shining and shining brightly and, and at the top of their game, doing, doing what, not only what they love, but doing it really, really well, you know, and which is, which is a part of the LGBTQ community that we don't really get to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I always say, I always say what I love about this as well. And about meeting all sorts of new people like you is that we're tangible, we're tangible. Right. Right. And and our stories matter. So like you never know who we're who we're going to affect and seeing seeing us shine, seeing somebody who looks like you shine can say to somebody else, oh, my God, if he can do that, I can do that. Right. Because he looks like me and we're 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 the same. Yeah. 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 But I want to know, how did you end up? being in marketing for 12 years and then transitioning to the super chef that you are today. Yeah, because again, I think growing up as a kid, um, you know, cooking or hospitality was not really an option because my parents, uh, again, coming from a South Asian background, uh, you know, Sri Lankans, Indians, our parents always want us to be like accountants or doctors or engineers and nothing else is really an option. (laughs) So I had to do the whole, you know, I had to study. I did my degrees in business and economics. I did my MBA in strategic marketing. And like, you know, I just did all of that. And actually did enjoy working in, especially when I was working in advertising, I really enjoyed it. Um, Later on, well, after doing my MBA in New York and while working in advertising, I switched over to consulting for management consulting firms because I thought it was more prestigious, again, trying to make my parents proud. Um, 
but I found that it was a very different world. Uh, the management consulting work, the top uh, management consulting. Again, um, I was a gay man of color working in consulting firms, which is all white, older, you know, men. And uh, it was not like a, a comfortable zone to be in, you know, if I was just to say it in a few words. But there was also like a lot of like mergers and acquisitions happening and you know, it, so therefore people were even more like stressed out. And it was at this time that me and a couple of my friends and my partner at that time, we were all just saying, if we could do anything in our, in our lives, with our lives, what would we want to do right now? And while we all went around saying what we wanted to do, I said, I would love to just be able to cook and be a chef and have my own, you know, catering company or restaurant. And uh, that just kind of stuck with me. And I kind of then started to move towards trying to make that happen, you know, at least take a year or two off and try to make it happen, see what it would be like. Because I always knew I had the education and the work experience to fall back. So what was the risk in taking a year off to just try to do something that you really love? You know, you have one life to live, take a chance. And that's what I did. And there was no turning back afterwards. <laughs> and obviously not. Look at you now. I mean, I, I mean, talk about um, following your dreams and like vision boarding it out. Like, you know, like speaking it into the universe, as people say, or secreting yeah. it into your life and, and making it really, really happen and shining bright throughout it. That's, that's really incredible and a testament to you and your drive and your talent. So yeah. c- congratulations for sure. You talk, um, you've mentioned your parents, I, sa- I should say, a bunch um, over the last, uh, I don't know, 20 some odd minutes or so. Do you have a good relationship with your parents? What was coming out like? I do have a very good relationship, especially with my mom, uh, but dad too. Now, especially over the years, it's gotten better and better with my dad. Uh, I only came out to my parents only about five years ago, believe it or not. Um, well, you're only, you're only what, about like 25, <laughs> 20, 24? <laughs> oh, thanks for the compliment. Listen, um, they say it, I say it all the time, honey, brown don't frown. Yeah. We got that good, we got that good skin. <laughs> um, so no, they were both very, very upset, to be honest. And my dad didn't speak to me for a year. Um, he, um, you know, he didn't speak to me for a year. My mom cried and cried and cried for almost a year, I think. And even to this day, she asked me, you know, if I would consider, um, you know, getting married that, you know, and stuff like that. So it's, it's an ongoing challenge that I don't think will ever end, to be honest. Um, the traditional parents are, are, especially from like, super traditional cultures. I mean, yeah. I'm Puerto Rican and it took, and my mom said she would always love me, but it still took her, it took her a hot minute to come around, you know, yeah. because growing up Catholic, it was yeah. just, you hear one thing from, from the religion and another thing is happening right in front of you that doesn't yeah. seem wrong or bad, but like, you're like, it's this inner turmoil, you know? Yeah. The funny thing is my parents are not even traditional though. They've lived all their lives all over the world. And, you know, you know, as I said, they they met in Ethiopia and they got married there, though they were both Sri Lankan. And then they lived in England, they lived in, they moved back to Nigeria, they lived everywhere, you know. And still they, there's this conservative streak that's in them that just, um, you know, just, they can't sh- seem to shake off, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and... Um, before in your mouth listeners before we got on the podcast and started recording recording 
I had to shut off a couple of my electronics because, you know, my mother would loves to call in the middle of these <laughs> interviews. And Chef Charles said to me, uh, gay boys and their mothers. And I said, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Um, and don't worry, listen, you come to my house. Mama Gladys will will be your second mom for sure, uh, right? Sweet. She she yeah. adopts all all my gay friends, right? Yeah, she's yeah. like the she became like that mom on Queer as Folk. If you ever watched the old Queer as Folk, uh huh, yeah, uh, um, just like you're mine now, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. You know, I I really love seeing people like that, and especially for me, it's such a contrast because you know. Even though I love my parents and my parents love me, you know, the fact that I'm still not being able to get that full acceptance from them. Um, I have three, um, two really good friends who actually decided to become a truffle over the last, uh, about two, about a year or two ago. And I went for the wedding and I saw not only their parents being so open and accepting to the fact that they were going to be now getting married to a third person, but even their grandparents were like had tears of joy streaming through their face, you know, as to how happy they were for their sons. And I was like, oh my God, this is just so amazing that they can be so accepting, you know, when I can't get my mom to accept me to just but take that's one also, boy. <laughs> that's also an important part of the LGBTQ experience that people need to hear that like, this is an ongoing journey. This journey just never ends right? Whether it's with your parents or whether it's with the outside world or whether it's with the government or whether, you know, it's just this ongoing journey of not only wanting to be accepted, but like, you know, having the people you you love, like battle with acceptance. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, and not everyone's so lucky. Not everyone's so lucky. Your parents love you and you're on this journey with them. But other people, other people just get thrown out of their house, you know? Uh, yep, the news yep. said the other day, actually, and I say this all the time, it was something like 34% of the L of the homeless youth in New York is is LGBTQ. Yeah. And so there's like new programs to kind of kind of um work within those parameters and be sensitive to that. Yeah. So so this journey is never Ending. Ending. And you're right. You're completely right. It's everyone has a different story and everyone, there's so many horror stories out there about what happens to young LGBT youth and their parents and their families being disowned, you know, and, you know, even, even uh, you know, abused for being gay and all that yeah. stuff. So. And, and it's a testament to you, though. Look how, look at the beautiful person you've become and how successful you've become, you know, and you're still on this ongoing journey with your parents. Like, yeah. you know, you two out there can make it right. Your experience is unique to you, and it's it's just the journey, right? Yeah. And it's an important part of the story to hear. But I want to I want to lighten it up for a minute, right? Because there is another <laughs> there is another important part of this journey on in your mouth that I need to take you on. You know, a, a favorite of the audience out there and a favorite of mine, Chef Charles. A little something I like to call. Food news update. Food news. Food news, honey. You ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News update. Beyonce has two real beehives in her backyard so she can always have a steady supply of honey. Wow. That's 
definitely interested in news. Right? I mean, the, she's giving new definition to the Bay Hive. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think she did it just for that? Just as a, like, you know, um, you know, to make the beehive happy? Actually, uh, funny you should say that. No, that's not why she uh, did it. Uh, this article comes from Delish.com. Not a sponsor, but thank you, Delish. You know I love you. Um, Beyonce is quoted as saying, I know it's random, but I have two beehives, real ones. I've had them in my house for a while now, and I have around 80,000 bees, and we make hundreds of jars of honey a year. Wow. Right? Um, it's incre- It's incredible and a little crazy. But she goes on to say, I started the beehives because my daughters, Blue and Rumi, both have terrible allergies, and honey has countless healing properties. Nice. Isn't it's great awesome? how that worked out for her. <laughs> <laughs> Shady. <laughs> no one shades Beyonce, please. <laughs> Listen, I didn't say it. Don't at me. All right. Go to go beehive. Go at Chef Charles. I don't I don't want no, any I'm of that backlash. Beyonce. I don't I'm want like... any of the backlash. <laughs> <laughs> She's one of my idols. I love her. Yes, As every gay I, man does. I mean, Almost. yeah, I did a little research because we've, we often hear about um, the bees being endangered. And I wanted, I wanted to know what the stats were. And um, from AG Daily, I, I feel like this is Agricultural Daily. Um, the truth is, is that there are eight species of bees that have been placed on the endangered list. Different species of the Hawaiian yellow-faced bees and the rusty-patched bumblebees. Honeybees and other species are not on the list, but are in, um, are in danger of becoming on the list, you know, right. due to habitat loss, natural di- disasters, invasive species, and overworking. Wow. Like, uh, Yeah. Like I, it's a thing that. What I, does overworking mean for bees, though? Yeah, it's a thing that um, people like uh, the almond tree, the almond industry, which is now has to produce almond milk and almond cream and almond butter, like you know, and plant-based butters, nut butters. Right. Yes, I, yes, I said nut butters. Get your mind out of the gutters. <laughs> um, they ship in truckloads of bees to work the farms and the bees are overworked and then just die off. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Never that that's that. even a thing. Yeah. You're bringing a lot of interesting facts into this conversation. Well, I mean, I mean well, if we're going to talk about it's the news. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Don't worry. There, there are not so interesting facts coming right at you. Okay. <laughs> but it seems like you and I are both here for Beyonce and her literal and figurative and beehive. beehive. Which we totally support and love that she has it. <laughs> backpedal, 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 Mountain Dew is releasing a cookbook full of recipes using the fan favorite soda. Yum. (laughs) I love that it was pause, pause, pause. Yum. (laughs) Question mark. Are you a soda drinker? Um, Not too much, no. 
No, I'm not a big soda drinker. And it just yeah. so happened Mountain Dew has been in the food news lately uh, a bunch because it was a candle that came out. And uh, last week, um, Dan Toro and I talked about Mountain Dew hot sauce that they were releasing in conjunction oh. with some NFL team. And now Mountain Dew has a... Um, Cookbook has a cookbook, and they are still not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> do you use do you use soda, or have you ever used soda in any of your, any of your recipes? Honestly, I don't think so. Huh. And I hmm, no. Well, well, maybe Mountain Dew needs to send this to you so you can <laughs> up your game. Mountain Dew is releasing a cookbook that includes 96 pages of the recipes that uh, use their lemon-lime drink in ways you've never seen before, from grilled cheese to cocktails. The, bi- the big, bold book of Mountain Dew recipes will show amateur and seasoned cooks alike how to infuse the stuff into everyday recipes. The cookbook is divided into sections so you can easily find whatever fits your mood. Well, duh, it's a cookbook. Uh, yeah. From badass breakfasts, uh, dipping with dew, dew does dinner, satisfying sides, dang good desserts, and liquid legends. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Delish, for this <laughs> for this investigative <laughs> reporting here. <laughs> I mean, what will they come up with next? I don't know. Would you eat a Mountain Dew green salsa or make some Mountain Dew jalapeno poppers or some Mountain Dew pork chops? Actually, Mountain Dew pork chops make sense because you figure, like, the sugar will caramelize and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it could be used in certain ways. Um, Again, I'm just not a big fan of using a lot of, like, highly processed, like, Tons of sugar and stuff like that in food, but yeah. Uh, but I mean, but, you, you were you were on chopped. <laughs> <laughs> That's and although, true. And although I could not find the episode because I did, I was searching hard and uh, high and low. I do know where you placed. So, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, you know what, Mountain Dew? I think Chef Charles and I would be here, would take a gander and flip through the pages of your cookbook. You know, maybe you would, you would inspire us both to be, you know, a little experimentative, if that's a word. I think it is. <laughs> Experimental. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, who knows? You, you know, I, I could see using Mountain Dew in maybe a dessert or, as you said, like an, in a marination, you know, like you said, like the pork chop marination sounds yeah. like Ooh. a good idea. Oh, I like that word, marination. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it sounds dirty. <laughs> and last but not least, Dr. Anthony Fauci told a group of celebs he orders takeout often as a neighborly obligation. Wow. Listen, these days, anything Dr. Fauci says, I'm doing. I agree. I agree. So obviously, we're in a pandemic, and Dr. Fauci recently told CNN about a call he had with around 36 celebrities, including, and let me know, Chef, if you've uh, cooked for any of these people, Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, Orlando Bloom, Katy Perry, and Kim Kardashian, who organized the call. 
right? And the aim was to inform these celebrities about the importance of social distancing, but also answer any questions they had about COVID-19 and how to stay safe. One question asked by Mila was about the safety of takeout food. And um, Fauci said he does order takeout uh, frequently. And in fact, he views it as a duty to help struggling restaurants. He's quoted as saying, I told her I feel badly about restaurants losing business. And I feel it's almost a neighborly obligation to keep restaurants afloat. So even though I cook at home, several nights a week, I go out for takeout purely to support those places. Nice. So he did, did he answer the question that is it safe to have food from outside uh, takeout? Yeah, uh, she then asked if she should be scooping food out onto a plate or using the takeout container. And by the way, Fauci said you can do either as long as you wash your hands. He said, Mila, listen, don't be paranoid. And then her husband, Ashton Kutcher, said, that's it. I'm ordering a pizza, finally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would think a pizza is probably one of the safer things to order anyway because it's coming piping hot from an oven, you know, to your table. Yeah. You know, two things I'm weird about ordering takeout of are sushi and tacos. Yeah, or salads too for me, especially right now, just because you don't know if someone sneezes on it or something. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, or salads. Yeah, I guess salads would be. But sushi, because I I feel like sushi needs to be made, like made and immediately eaten. You know, yeah, and made yeah. in front of you. And then tacos do, just don't travel well. It's another thing that need, needs to be made in front of you and eaten, right? You don't want this like soggy taco right. thing that's been steamed in the container and, totally. yeah. and like tepid to say the yeah. least. Yeah. No, you know? I agree. Yep. I think you picked the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you don't eat? Um, no, I think I eat pretty much everything. Favorite takeout experience? Favorite takeout um, experience. Um, there's this place called Kimchi Smokehouse Barbecue, uh, which is um, local. And they do a really interesting, like, Southern Asian, like, barbecue, which is very delicious. And that, you know, that does hold well, you know, as a takeout. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I was really hoping you were going to say something like a Papa John's or something. <laughs> <laughs> bring, to, you know, to bring us back to the people. <laughs> and with that, I think this is a great way to end food news update. <laughs> How was that for you? Great. Great. Like, great. Uh, yes. yeah, do you, do you feel like just inspired to like, you know, live the day to the fullest now with all that new information. Totally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's still worried about the beehive coming after him. <laughs> oh my God. So tell me about Chopped. What was that experience like? Chopped was um, very interesting. Again, uh, it was the first time I was on a a live type of you know, big national show. show. So it was a lot to take in, a lot to experience. They don't really give you any information about what to expect uh, with the whole process. Uh, So you're just kind of, again, thrown in and then you kind of just have to deal with it. And a lot of people ask me, is the timings right? Yes, the timings are totally, you know, when they are counting you down and when they're timing things for each, um, each section, that is totally the way it happens. You really are working within that time frame. 
uh, there's a ton of spotlights, there's a ton of cameras running all around you. And there's these three judges, you know, right by you as well. So you're constantly worried if you're going to like spill something or burn something or chop something the wrong way. And someone's going to say something. So, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure and stress, but at the same time, it was, it was, Excellent. I would. I loved doing it. It was well. Great. Well, you made it all the way to the last round. <clears throat> yes, I did. Um, and the last round was actually me and this other chef who uh, is a very senior chef uh, who had been apparently who had come to the finals in Top Chef at the first ever Top Chef. So that was so way back. I guess like maybe ten years ago or whatever. Yeah, I remember and that. He, and he had come to the finals in that. So all the judges were anyway like giddy over him. And they said, oh, we have a special chef here who's like, you know. So, um, but he was also very interested in personality. Um, he was, uh, he is gay too. So it was interesting that the two gay chefs came to the final too and like, you know, knocked it out. <laughs> Listen, we have been here, we are here, and we will be here. All right. We choose what you eat what you wear, how you look. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not get it twisted. A long time ago, I uh, auditioned for many a cooking show and it's still happening. But one was called Cooks vs. Cons that um, right when I got cast got canceled. So we never filmed. But I had to do a live cook like that too um, Mm -hmm. in the chop kitchen where you're running, you're literally running around and producers are following you around there's a camera following you around and you're worried about burning things and right. that timing is no joke that big clock is right there yeah and it's going and i sure as i sure as hell burnt the burnt the bacon right <laughs> but um it's fine because like it was in and out and really quick and it was really fun um but that was an experience and speaking of that experience what about, what if we do and put you in the hot seat, you know, and, and in your mouth, uh, chopped challenge. Are you ready to take the challenge, Chef Charles? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> he is unaware that we were going to do this. <laughs> in your basket, there are lobster tails, uh, Velveeta cheese, kumquats, and paella. You have two minutes to tell me oh what you would God. make. Uh, mm, interesting. Um, I would probably do a. I would probably do a seafood risotto ball, like a like. So I'll take the paella. I would take the Velveeta cheese. Um, so take the Velveeta cheese. Start making like a sauce out of it, and then add in the paella to it. Chop up the lobster, mix it into so you've got all that beautiful lobster and the. Uh, you know, the the rice from the paella with the cheese, make them into um, risotto balls and then serve it with like a delicious, like spicy tomato broth or something. Uh, well, you forgot the kumquats. Oh, the kumquats. Very easy. Okay, great. Kumquats are citrus, so it's delicious. Um, I would mix in a little bit into the risotto ball itself, but I would definitely use a lot of that juice in my spicy tomato citrusy broth that I'm dipping sauce that I'm going to make for the risotto balls. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm starving. (laughs) (laughs) Well, needless to say, you have just won the In Your Mouth (laughs) Chopped Challenge. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. Tell the kids about One World, One Kitchen and your uh, and just like your boutique catering company because I think it's really beautiful what you do. Yeah. Um, so after doing the restaurants, I did like, you know, the rest the French restaurant in Brooklyn. I also did one uh, in the city, uh, in uh, the village, uh, a seafood and steak restaurant. Um, I decided that I really wanted to, A, um, you know, rethink why I got into food, which was like to really have control and do exactly the way I want to do it do things food wise um but also build a business that i would feel very happy and comfortable uh and that kind of um stems um from my values and what i would love to see in an ideal business so um one world one kitchen came from the fact that a i love the idea of working with flavors from all over the world and not just one particular cuisine or country. Uh, you know, a lot of people told me when I was getting into food, why don't you focus on Sri Lankan food or like South Asian food? Because, you know, you, one, there's not a lot of representation there. Um, two, um, you know, that's what you're just naturally from. So people would accept you as an Indian or South Asian, you know, Sri Lankan chef and go from there. But again, as I said, I, you know, I just I, I think I would get bored if I have to deal with just one cuisine. Uh, I love the idea of being able to, uh, you know, create foods from all over the world. Um, second of all, I just love the idea of the all inclusiveness that comes with the idea of one world, one kitchen. And from the start, I always made sure that I hired chefs and staff and servers and bartenders that were like, American, but like had roots from all over the world. So you would have like a Jamaican American chef or you would have like a Greek American chef. And like, you know, that too helped bring in uh, the oneness of all of us as a human, you know, as humans, you know, that, you know, the main thing that, you know, that we have um, for each other is, you know, the, the, the things that we have a lot more things in common than not. So we all have that love for food. We have that love to... Uh, please people, people, but it's clients or satisfaction, you know, customer satisfaction, making sure that the event goes well. All these, uh, all my staffers all have that same passion. And it's not that I went looking for it, but just people just, that's what they love to do when they come to work, when they love their job, they want to try to be able to make the best dish that they can make. They want to see the clients happy. They want to see the guests happy. And I don't know how it happened, but I've been very lucky with, even with the servers and bartenders, a lot of our clients always come to us saying, it's not just how amazing the food is, but it's just what everyone brings to the table. There's this like real uh, sense of, um, you know, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just, everyone seems very like happy, you know, if yeah, I was to say it in one sense word. Of, it's a sense of community, you know? Yeah. It's, it's that old saying, it takes a village. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And um, I love what you're doing because it's changing, you know, you're changing the face and actively changing the face of what the kitchen looks like, you yeah. know? And yeah. and how that kitchen operates and yeah. and and how we do things and and with that your result comes through as a happy staff a diverse staff you know yeah. uh, people who want to work for you who who are and enjoy working for you yeah and as a result you know I've been doing this for like almost ten years now and 
even the chefs and the servers and bartenders who've worked with me like from 10 years ago, even if they've gone on to do greater and bigger things or if they've moved to California or wherever, they'll always reach out to me and say, look, if you're ever, if you need, if if I have the free time, I will jump in and like do one of your events because I miss working with you and miss the team. So whenever I have, if, if one of my chefs who lives in Chicago or California comes in, they're going to let me know a couple of weeks ahead and say, Hey, Charles, are you doing it? I do you have any events because I'd love to jump in and help you, you know? And that's what creates that sense of community. And like, you know, everyone just, you know, there's a lot of love and uh, respect, you know, we all respect each other. We all value each other's ideas and what we bring to the table. And I encourage that. I want them to feel that they're contributing significantly to One World, One Kitchen and what we do every time we do an event. You know, I, you know, I want everyone to bring in their best and do their best and know that they're all playing an equal part. And it's just not Chef Charles who's like, you know, the star and then there's no one, you know, everyone is important and needed. And I make sure that they know that. Yeah, and that's and that's what's so beautiful about what you bring to the table and and this and this journey that you're on. If folks out there, if you want to learn more about One World One Kitchen, you can go to oneworldonekitchen.com for sure. Chef, give them the Instagram so they can see the beautiful face. <coughs> <laughs> yes, it's Chef Charles NYC. I also have a One World One Kitchen Instagram, but my I'm mostly active on Chef Charles NYC. Yes, yes, yes. You know, as as we're slowly wrapping up here, head over there, hit the follow button, and you know, look at the beautiful face, look at the beautiful food, <laughs> do all the things. Um, and speaking about coming together, uh, the holidays are upon us. Um, how are we supposed to like safely socially distant yet have a good time? What are your plans for the holidays? What, what do you celebrate? Yeah. So usually the holidays are when I'm most busy. So I've almost like, for me, you know, planning the holidays is what parties am I going to be doing? What events are we doing? And we've been lucky to do almost every single Thanksgiving party for Neil Patrick Harris or um, over the Thanksgiving. So usually that's, you know, taken care of by them. Um, And then we do a lot of different holiday parties for a lot of different people. And that's what excites me. I get excited over that. Yes, I do like to come home and have a quiet, intimate celebration with some of my close friends and um, uh, family, uh, you know, right after the holiday. Like uh, Thanksgiving is like, you know, it spreads on for like three days. So like, you know, after Thursday, I have the rest of the weekend to, you know, to do homey things. But my, where I get excited is the actual doing an event for someone. Uh, now with COVID, uh, you know, we were busy over the summer, but now with the spikes coming back up, um, people are far more hesitant to do things. There's also a lot of regulations um, coming in too. People, uh, you know, we're not supposed to have party people gatherings of more than 10 to 12 people, even in a home. Yeah, and so there's a lot be... of things. It must be hard. Excuse me one second. It must be hard. Like, let's say you're within your legal gathering of like six to 10 people or whatever it is these days. Yeah. And right. But working in a hot kitchen, in yeah. a mask, in yeah. a gloves, and then making sure everything is sanitized and everything is, um, you know, food safety regula- regulations, of course. But then on top of it, everything being sanitized and everything being safe and everything, you know, 
it must yes. be hard. It, it must be so. I can't even imagine, right? Yeah, it, it's and you have stressful. to make your money, and you have to yeah. make your money, right? And you have to business. survive. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you still have to pay the bills, and you want to. You know, you want to try to, you know, stay afloat. Um, and so it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, and also like when you're at events. Um, a lot of times what I notice is the host and the people who come to the parties, they're like in a different mode. So they're not even thinking pandemic. Most of them are not wearing masks. They're like, you know, they're very comfortable because they they know each other, their family, their friends. So they have their comfort level. Yeah. Or so they've been in their like pod together. Together. So it's we are the ones who are out of our comfort zone being there because we don't know them, you know. <laughs> so it's it's stressful, as you said, and we're constantly sanitizing and always wearing masks and, you know, just following all the guidelines. And we're trying to we're going to try to do it as much as we can, you know, and keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I wish you a lot of luck, especially throughout the holidays, because I know I know just from being in hospitality for a long time, you know, November, November, December are, is where the money is, you know, yeah, yeah. Besides, besides wedding season, right? Yeah. That like April, you know, that yeah. May, April, November, yeah. December is definitely where the money is. Any quick tips? Like if you had one quick tip for people out there doing Thanksgiving, which is next week, can you even believe it? <laughs> what, what would it be? Quick tips. Let's see. Try to um, make things, especially um, Thanksgiving is a great time where you can make things ahead of time. So you can brine your turkeys, you can marinate them, you can have it already. You can do your casseroles ahead of time, the day ahead, you know, and they stay great. And then just put things in the oven on the day of the event, you know. So I would well, say, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to ask, what was what was being so well-traveled and having lived everywhere and then coming here and watching Americans gorge on turkey and yams with marshmallows <laughs> and green bean casserole, even though not in my Puerto Rican household. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? What was yeah. that experience like, you know? You know, again, I've I've been in the U.S. for quite some time because I did my undergrad here in Connecticut then went back to Sri Lanka for a short time, but then back again for my grad school. So I've been in and out of the U.S. So, you know, it's it's not been like an immediate culture shock to me. It's something that I've seen over the years. Uh, but definitely the yams with the marshmallow thing, I still can't get it. I'm still, <laughs> I, I still, I still struggle when a client asks me to do that. Um, yeah, the... Um... The question came to me because I have been very lucky through being a theater person for a very long time in a former life, having traveled many, many places and then just being Puerto Rican. You know, it's always like rice and beans and these warm, you know, these warm, like yeah. just food, these warm foods that feed a lot of people, you know, yeah. these like these big dishes, these like stews mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. And so even sometimes like, cause my mother loves those yams with the marshmallows. Sometimes mm -hmm. I don't even get it. I'll have like, I'll have like the smallest amount of it. Cause I'm yeah. like, eh. but yeah. um, I was like, Oh, I wonder what that's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, just like walking into that and being like, what? Cause I think I'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> but I try to do more. Um, I try to do, uh, a lot of things like pumpkin raviolis and sage brown butter, more like fall kind of foods that are not, uh, that are Thanksgiving-ish, but not necessarily the very traditional things like Brussels sprouts with like pancetta and like, you know, herb butter. Um, 
Yeah, sounds you know. delicious. So um, I, I will send you an Uber Eats <laughs> for Neil Patrick Harris's leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing Neil Patrick Harris this year, I don't think so. I think everyone's really playing like, safe. Um, yeah, this, I mean, um, yeah, of yeah. course, of course, of course. Um, I, I am thinking of doing um, some takeout type options and drop off options, you know, so, so uh, people yeah. who still want Thanksgiving food, you know, um, but want it in the safety of their homes and don't want to cook. You know, we'll still probably look into a few of those. Yeah. And I'm sure out there one more time, let's plug the things. You could find that at oneworldonekitchen.com or at Chef Charles NYC on Instagram. I don't want to say goodbye to you because I've had a really <laughs> good time. Um, yeah. You just reminded me with your Thanksgiving menu that one year uh, I used to throw something called Big Gay Thanksgiving. And then we're going to close this out, folks. Um, and I started to theme them. And one year I did my big gay Chinese takeout Thanksgiving where everything was Chinese takeout themed, but Thanksgiving foods. So I did yeah. like winter vegetable lo mein, wow. apple, um, apple and pork uh, wontons. I did a like, um, I brined the turkey in like lemongrass and soy and miso. And then I served it with General Sal's dipping sauce and teriyaki dipping sauce. Wow, that's very interesting and very creative. I might have to steal that from you one day. Uh, yeah, listen, <laughs> take it. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm saying it because you just reminded me. I bet you that'd be a big hit for you. Um, yes. Making all those like pot stickers and dumplings where like I did yeah. apple pie dumplings for dessert. Um, wow. And, yeah. 100, 100% Chinese takeout Thanksgiving. All my guests arrived to like, you know, like those Chinese takeout boxes and chops. They were yep. like, this isn't Thanksgiving, but it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. The winter vegetable lo mein was a hit though. I need to recreate it because yeah. it was so great with some pomegranate molasses and whatnot. Sounds delicious. Right? That's, that's an excellent idea. Taking Thanksgiving foods and um, incorporating it into other visual you know, global, you know, cuisines, you know, that's lovely. I like that idea. Yeah. And it doesn't um, even have to just be Chinese. You could do it with other cultures too, you know? Yeah. But with those same um, Thanksgiving kind of ingredients and um, vessels. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a chop challenge. Take Thanksgiving, <laughs> you know, take Thanksgiving and make it Thai. Take Thanksgiving yeah. and make it Puerto Rican. Take Thai or Italian. And- or Italian, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, it's a fun, it's definitely a fun and interesting take on Thanksgiving. I also did my big six, uh, my big gay 60s housewife Thanksgiving, where I was making aspics. Have you ever had an aspic? I've heard of it, but I've not, never had Not one. taking an aspic, but <laughs> <laughs> making an aspic. <laughs> oh my God, you're too funny. <laughs> um, an aspic is like a savory jello mold. So I made like a butternut squash aspic mm-hmm. uh, and everyone was disgusted by it. Um, <laughs> I made one, I found one of these old uh, like Campbell's soup, uh, like hors d'oeuvre recipes that it was like mandarin orange turkey. So there was like mandarin orange, cream of mushroom soup, turkey. It sounded disgusting and we thought nobody would eat it, but it was really, really delicious. Wow. Yeah, so it's fun to play with Thanksgiving that way or just definitely or any holiday in that way. Yeah, especially if you have a non-traditional crowd who's like open to creativity and having fun with it, you know? Yeah, especially if you're doing uh, also Friendsgivings because how much much like normal Thanksgiving can you have? We have a Friendsgiving here, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially this year. So please be safe out there. I'm just going to say it. Please be safe. 
go get tested. You know, I go get tested every time before I go see my mother because she's high risk. Yeah. And so on and so forth. You know, so like just be safe if you're doing gatherings at Thanksgiving. And yeah. with and with that, I'm going to thank you so much and let you go from my clutches. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was it's really, been so really great nice like getting you. to know you and just yes. I can't thank you enough of like you know, telling us your story and just giving me your time. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Yeah. And this is not the end of this because they call me the Andy Cohen of food. So now you're <laughs> part of like my real housewives, my real my real house chefs of Gayville over here. Nice. So yeah. And I look forward to meeting you in person, you know, yes. uh, after, yeah. you know, hopefully when things get a little better. And For we sure. should, we're so close. Yeah. And we should do one of those you know, meals, cook out, you know, fun themed creative parties or something together. Yeah, let's, that would be let's, fun. Let's do it. Uh, you yes. know what? My friends call me a top in the kitchen. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning to be a little less aggressive. <laughs> And with that, y'all out there, please be safe, you know, as you may be traveling um, this coming weekend or over the next week, you know, just be safe, go get tested, wash your hands. You know, I can't say it enough or, you know what, it's, it's been sucky, but hopefully this, this will all be over soon, you know, and just have a, have a virtual Thanksgiving or just, it doesn't need to be big. It's, it's about. It's about quality, not quantity, is what I'm trying to say. And with that, this quality podcast and host is going to say <laughs> thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>